0: Inside a boat, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Dave Jones, and today we have a special episode, and I want to make sure that we get this information out to you. Uh, We have Matthew Gardner's top 10 predictions for 2022, but before we get into those, uh, hit that subscribe button. We got stuff coming all season long. This is season six, 2022. It's February already, and we just want to make sure that the podcast is valuable, and I'm really excited about who we have coming on. Uh, the rest of this year. So anyway, uh, take a listen, Matthew Gardner, Windermere Chief Economist. Hello there, I'm Windermere Real Estate's Chief Economist, Matthew Gardner. Some of you may possibly remember that last year, I put a top 10 list of things for brokers and their clients to be on the lookout for in 2021. And because so many of you told me how useful it was, well, I decided that an update was in order. So without further ado, Here's my list of things for all of you to be on the lookout for in 2022. First up, prices will continue to rise. Now, I'm pretty sure that most of you are already saying to yourselves, well, that isn't much of a surprise, but it is worthy of making it onto my list as whispers have been growing louder from some who are becoming far more vocal about their belief that we're set for home prices to drop given the extremely rapid pace of growth we saw last year. Now, I certainly don't see prices falling this year, but I have no doubt that the pace of appreciation will slow significantly. In fact, I expect home prices to rise by around 6% versus 16% in 2021. And the primary reason for this slowdown is that we are testing affordability levels across much of the country. And not just in markets you would expect to see affordability issues, such as Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York, Miami, or even right here in Seattle. But the share of households making local median income who are able to afford a median priced home has dropped significantly in markets that you would not expect. And here I'm talking about areas like Corvallis, Oregon, which was technically the least affordable market in the country in the third quarter of last year. Also, pretty high on the list of unaffordable markets were Salem and Eugene, also in Oregon, Boise, Idaho, as well as Tacoma and Bellingham, right here in Washington state. The bottom line is that some of the heat will come off the market this year with price growth slowing. And listing brokers need to be positioned to explain this to their clients who have become very accustomed to seeing prices spiraling upward? Those days, I'm afraid, are highly likely behind us, and it's not a bad thing. Number two, the spring buying season may come earlier and be bigger than you are expecting. As I suggested several times last year, the work from home paradigm is real, and I see this potentially increasing buyer demand for several reasons. As we all know, many companies were planning to announce their work from home policies after Labor Day last year. However, the rise of the Delta variant of COVID-19 forced them to delay their decisions until the start of this year and, assuming they don't further postpone implementing new policies due to the Omicron variant, workers will get more clarity regarding work from home and when they do find out exactly how often they'll have to go into their offices, well, I see many of them immediately start to search for new homes that are likely to be further away from their workplaces and into more affordable markets. I also expect some to start looking for a new home, not necessarily because of price, but because their current homes just aren't equipped for remote working. I for one can tell you that spending more than a year working for my dining room table, is hardly the most stimulating of experiences. So my advice would be for you to be prepared for what could be a very robust and possibly exceedingly early spring buying season. Next up, number three, the rise of the suburbs. Now this really is a follow on from my last point. You see, I believe that for a, (laughs) for a very exceptionally significant percentage of employees whose jobs do allow them to work from home, remote working will not be an all or nothing proposition. Rather, it will be a blend of working from home a few days and in the office for the balance of the week. And this will lead would-be buyers to target locations that are still relatively proximate to their offices, but away from high density areas and into the suburbs or other ex-urban areas that aren't that far away from work. And we are already seeing signs of this. I've taken a close look at records from the Postal Service, who have a trove of data from people submitting change of address requests. And it showed me that, so far, 84% of households who have already moved actually stayed in the same metro area as their old home. Now of course, some will be able to work from home permanently and this will allow them to look even further afield. So I also expect to see greater interest in secondary and tertiary markets that had previously been generally overlooked. The big gainers here will be markets like Breckenridge, Colorado, Payson, Arizona, The Dalles and Astoria in Oregon, Wichita Falls, Kansas and believe it or not, Spencer, Iowa. These are locations that will certainly benefit economically from the influx of new residents, but I would offer a word of caution. As buyers from high priced locations move into these markets and snap up what they believe to be relatively cheap homes, well, it will push prices up significantly and this can hurt existing residents who had always thought that they would be able to buy a home when the time was right but this veritable wave of -of out-of-towners may well start to price them out of the towns that they actually grew up in. And we are again seeing this already in markets such as Riverside, California, where buyers leaving the Los Angeles Basin are snapping up homes. And this has impacted affordability, which is down to just 26%. Or, as we discussed, Corvallis, Oregon. Just 6% of homes sold in the third quarter of last year were technically affordable to households making median income. That is pretty scary. Okay, on to number four, new construction jumps. I am looking for the cost of construction to come down a bit this year as inflation finally starts to taper and this should provide additional stimulus for home builders to start construction on more units. Material costs spiked through the COVID period, with lumber prices alone adding about $36,000 to the price of a new home. But this year, I'm hopeful that the bottlenecks in the supply chain will be fixed. Prices should then start moderating, and this will flow through to building material costs, which should start to drop. And because of this, I anticipate single-family starts to come in at around 1.22 million units this year, 1.24 and 1.24 million in 2023. These are numbers that we haven't seen since 2005. Moving on to number 5. Big push to address zoning issues that limit development. Although we've already seen significant changes in some markets, I expect this to become more of a focal point this year. Back in 2018, The first market to eliminate single-family zoning completely was Minneapolis. Now you can build duplexes or triplexes in any area that was previously zoned for single-family homes only. In 2019, Oregon followed suit and last fall, Governor Newsom in California signed similar bills, SB 8, 9 and 10 into law, which all took effect January 1 of this year. What has clearly started to become apparent to legislators is that housing affordability is an incredibly significant issue. And the only way to get around it is to add to housing supply. And I believe that this will actually have a significant impact in more inexpensive markets, where contrary to the popular, albeit incorrect belief, that additional density will lower the values of existing homes I actually see existing homeowners in these markets, I think they're going to find their home values rising at a faster than average pace because of these policies. And that's something that is not being talked about. Number six, climate change will start to seriously impact where buyers choose to live. Now that natural disasters are increasing in frequency and climate risk data is starting to become more readily available, get ready for home buyers to require more information from their brokers about these risks and their associated costs. Specifically, buyers will want to know about an area's flood and fire risks, and if that might impact their insurance costs or even the mortgage rate that they will get. You see, there's a practice known as blue lining, where banks or mortgage lenders draw lines of risk around certain neighbourhoods or even streets often without clear disclosure. And this can impact the mortgage rate that buyers are offered. Although more home buyers are not worried about climate change than currently are, the tide, excuse the pun, really is changing. And this is being led by millennials, but it's also high on the list of concerns from Gen Y buyers and even Gen Z, who, although still far too young to be in the position to buy a home, will be very focused on this when they get to the ripe old age when home ownership becomes important to them. Number seven, urban markets bounce back. While increased working from home can, and will, raise housing demand in areas further away from city centres, it may not necessarily mean less demand for living in cities. In fact, some urban neighbourhoods may even see demand rising as highly desirable city neighbourhoods, which were once only convenient to a subset of commuters, become more accessible to a larger group of potential new residents. At the same time, however, this could be a problem for some distressed urban neighbourhoods where proximity to employment centres may have been their best asset. And I also believe that we may see a more unique shift in select cities who historically have relied on the tech industry to provide significant demand for urban housing, but work from home has led them to lose some of these residents. But where tech worker demand may drop, it will likely be replaced by workers employed in the biotech industry. You see, these are people who still have to go to their labs and most can't work remotely. And this will be most noticeable in markets such as right here in Seattle, which, by the way, is the fastest growing area for life science employment in the country. But I also expect to see cities like Atlanta, Miami, Dallas, and even Madison, Wisconsin benefit from this trend too. Number eight, a resurgence in foreign investors. Prospective buyers have been sitting on the sidelines since the pandemic began, but they started to look again when the travel ban was lifted last November. Of course, all this has been put on pause because of the rise of the Omicron variant, but if we don't close our borders again, I fully expect that foreign buyer demand will rise significantly this year. I would add that foreign buyers were still closing on home purchases even when they were unable to enter the country by buying sight unseen, only having viewed the home remotely. And this is likely to still be the case, even if we end up shutting down our borders again. Number nine, first time buyers will be an even bigger factor in 2022. Earlier, I mentioned that I anticipate a demand surge when work from home policies are clearer, And some of this growth in demand will come not from existing homeowners, but from first-time buyers who currently rent. 4.8 million millennials will turn 30 this year. That's the median age of a first-time buyer in America. But an additional 9.4 million will be celebrating their 28th and 29th birthdays this year. And I would suggest that these younger buyers are likely to start a search for their first homes earlier than normal if they can buy further out and into markets which are more affordable. And finally, number 10, forbearance will end and it's gonna be okay. I talked about this extensively last year with my position being that forbearance was a well thought out programme to keep people in their homes, even if they were not able to make their mortgage payments. Well, Many thought that this would ultimately lead to a wave of homes being foreclosed on, and that would hurt the housing market. But that has absolutely not been the case. In fact, as of recording this video, there are now fewer than 900,000 owners still in the programme. That's down from its May 2020 peak of almost 4.8 million households who are in forbearance. And this number will continue to shrink, but, Even if some owners simply can't get back onto their feet, I don't expect to see a significant increase in foreclosure activity as they exit the program. Yes, foreclosures will rise this year, but only back toward their long-term average. But there will not be a wave of foreclosures simply because many homeowners who can't get things straight with their lenders or they'll decide to sell their homes in order to satisfy their obligations and not have their homes repossessed. This is already happening. And we know this by looking at the makeup of homes currently for sale. See, the number of homes listed for sale that are priced in the bottom 5% of their respective markets is jumping. In fact, it was up by 13% in the third quarter of last year. So your client should not wait for any sort of wave of cheap bank-owned homes to come to market because I just don't see it happening. And there you have it, my top 10 for 2022. I certainly hope that you found this year's list as interesting as last year's. As always, I wish you all every happiness and success this year. Man, as always, if you have any thoughts about my list, do feel free to reach out to me. I would love to hear from you. Bye now.